Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is 10.01 p.m. Eastern Time on Sunday, May 18th, 2019. Good evening, everyone. This is Mr. WCWS Chad Henshaw of the WCWS Stable of Groups on Facebook and the WCWS Radio Network, of course, right here on TalkShoe.com. And, of course, ladies and gentlemen, as we do each and every Sunday night, we're going to be bringing you <clears throat> it's going to be a little bit different here tonight here, though, folks, with the course, we did bring you our radio lineup on YouTube. That video should be posted up there momentarily. In the meantime, ladies and gentlemen, tonight we'll be bringing you tonight's wrestling history and birthdays, plus also some wrestling news tidbits, courtesy of our friends at 411mania.com. And, of course, ladies and gentlemen, as you've been keeping up with all night long, I'm sure we'll be talking about, of course, the uh, and you have to, all updates we have on WWE's uh pay-per-view tonight, Money in the Bank 2019. Well, let's not waste any time here, folks. Let's go on right ahead and bring you, of course, our uh, <clears throat> bring you, of course, our wrestling history here for tonight, as actually we have a two-parter in our wrestling history here this evening, and I will bring that up here to you momentarily. In the meantime here, one, let's start with 114 years ago today, which would put it at, I do believe, let's see, yes, 1905 in New York City, Tom Jenkins defeated Frank Gotch 2-1 in a best-of-three-falls match to retain the American Heavyweight Championship. The bout held in Madison Square Garden lasted two hours and 15 minutes, or as about as long as a three-hour episode of Monday Night Raw without the commercials. The first fall won by Jenkins lasted just under 88 minutes. The second lasted 36 and a half minutes, and the deciding fall took just 11 minutes. 38, <clears throat> 38 years ago today, which would put it at 19, 1981, Nick Bockwinkel is officially awarded the AWA World Heavyweight title. 
Bachwinkle, the number one contender to the AWA world title at the time, lost to Vern Gagne nine days before in what was Gagne's retirement match. Bachwinkle would have a death grip on the championship, holding it four times for a total of nine, for 948 of the next 1,009 days, including un, uninterrupted runs of 334 days and 408 days. Of note, only two of the four reigns are recognized by WWE. Hulk Hogan and Jerry Lawler both won the AWA world title in 1982. Hogan in April, Lawler in December. But both times the championship was held up and eventually reverted back to Bonkwink. Let's see. Uh, 30 years ago today, which we put it in 1989, Roadhouse is released in theaters. The film starring the late Patrick Swayze as a bouncer protecting a refurbished roadside bar in Missouri from the corrupt businessman has former NWA world champion Terry Funk in a small role. The film was a modest success in the box office, though critics largely hated it. 38% rating based on 32 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes and was nominated for five Razzies. Since its initial release, it's garnered a huge cult following thanks to home video and reruns on cable. It even spawned an off-Broadway musical version in late 2003 called, and of course we're not making this up, Roadhouse, the stage version of the cinema classic that starred Patrick Swayze, except this one stars Ty Mack from the 80s cult classic The Last Dragon, wearing a blonde mullet wig. It also spawned a direct-to-video sequel in 2006. A remake... <clears throat> Of the original starring famed MMA fighter Ronda Rousey was in the works in 2015, but production had been discontinued. 29 years ago today, put it at 1990. Yes. NWA presented Capital Combat Return to Robocop from the DC Armory in Washington, DC. About 7,500 were in attendance, with 160,000 homes watching on pay-per-view. That's up from 120,000 homes for Russell War 89, the May pay-per-view event the previous year. The event is under for a promotional crossover appearance by Robocop, who rescued Sting from a small cage during the show's main event. The crossover was to promote the soon-to-be-released Robocop 2, near the matches that took place at Capital Combat. The Road Warriors, Hulk and Animal, teamed up with and Norman the Lunatic, defeated Kevin Sullivan, Cactus Jack, and Van Van Bigelow. Mark Callis, of course, the Undertaker, defeated Johnny Ace, who was, of course, John Laurinaitis. The Samoan SWAT team, Fatu and the Samoan Savage, defeated Tommy Rich and Mike Rotunda. Paul Ellering defeated Teddy Long in a hair versus hair match. The Midnight Express, Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane, defeated Brian Pillman and Tom Zink to win the NWA United States Tag Team titles. The Rock and Roll Express, Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson, defeated the Freebirds, Michael Hayes and Jimmy Garvin, in a corporate, corporal punishment strap match. Doom defeated Rick and Scott Steiner to win the NWA World Tag Team titles. And Lex Luger defeated Ric Flair by DQ in a steel cage match for the NWA World Heavyweight title. 28, 28 years ago today, <clears throat> which would put it at 1990, 1991, WCW presented Super Brawl from the Bayfront Arena in St. Petersburg, Florida. About 6,000 were in attendance with 150,000 homes watching on pay-per-view. That's down from 160,000 homes for Capital Combat, which was the May 1990 pay-per-view that we just discussed. In a pre-show dark match, the Mighty Thor defeated El Cubano 
The Fabulous Freebirds, Jimmy Garvin and Michael Hayes, defeated the Young Pistols, Steve Armstrong and Tracy Smothers, to win the vacant WCW United States Tag Team titles. Dan Spivey defeated Ricky Morton. Nikita Koloff defeated Tommy Rich. Dustin Rose defeated Terrence Taylor. Big Josh defeated Black Bart. Oz defeated Tim Parker in just 40 seconds. Oz, of course, as you know later, is, of course, real-life Kevin Nash. Barry Windham defeated Flying Brian in a taped fist match. Ellie Gante defeated Sid Vicious in a stretcher match. In a humorous bit of trivia, the match lasted all of two minutes and a stretcher was never used. Gigante put Sid in a claw hold and Sid just walked away while Kevin Sullivan and one man gang attacked Gigante. This was Sid's final bout in this run with WCW. He was already WWF bound. He would debut that summer as Sid Justice. Ron Simmons defeated Butch Reed in a steel cage match. <clears throat> the Steiner brothers defeated Lex Luger and Sting to retain the WCW World Tag Titles. Bobby Eaton defeated Arn Anderson to win the WCW TV title. And Ric Flair defeated Tatsumi Fujinami to unify both WCW and NWA World Heavyweight titles. 24 years ago today, which would put it at 1995, in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, Razor Ramon defeated Jeff Jarrett in a ladder match to win the Intercontinental title. 23 years ago today, we put it at 1996. I believe that is, that is that correct? Yes, it is. Uh, WCW presented Slamboree from the Riverside Complex, Complex in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. 7,791 were in attendance with 155,000 homes watching on pay-per-view. That's up from 110,000 homes for the 1995 event. The show's hook was the Lord of the Ring Lethal Lottery, which featured wrestlers randomly paired together to compete in a tag team match. Teams that won two matches advanced to a battle royal for the Lord of the Ring title and also a ring, plus a WCW World Heavyweight title match. Sound familiar? This was the concept of Battle Bowl, which was used by WCW from 1991 to 1993. Lord of the Ring first round was like this. Booker T and Road Warrior Animal and Lex Luger and Road Warrior Hulk fall to a double countout. The public enemy, of course, Johnny Grunge and Rocco Rock defeated Chris Benoit and Kevin Sullivan. Rick Steiner and the Booty Man defeated Scott Steiner and Sergeant Craig Pittman. Jim Duggan and VK Wall Street defeated the Blue Bloods, of course, Lord Stephen Regal and Squire David Taylor. Dick Slater and Earl Robert Eaton defeated Alex Wright and Disco Inferno. DDP and the Barbarian defeated Hugh Morris and Ming. Fire and Ice, Ice Train and Scott Norton defeated Big Bubba and Stevie Ray. As the other match in their bracket went to a double count, Fire and Ice received a bye into the Battle Royal. And Randy Savage and Ric Flair defeated Arn Anderson and Eddie Guerrero. Lord of the Rings semifinals, Dick Slater and Earl Robert Eaton defeated Jim Duggan and VK Wall Street. The Public Enemy defeated Randy Savage and Ric Flair by countout. And DDP and the Barbarian defeated Rick Steiner and the Booty Man. The Lord of the Ring final, DDP defeated Dick Slater, Earl Robert Eaton, Ice Train, Johnny Grunge, Rocco Rock, Scott Norton, and the Barbarian in a battle royal to win the Lord of the Ring tournament and a future WCW World Heavyweight title match. Of note, while Page got the ring and bragging rights, he never got a world title match. Replay put footage show Barbarian eliminating Page when one of Page's feet hit the floor. Either foot hitting the floor constituted an elimination. Non-tournament bouts in order of occurrence from this event. Dean Malenko defeated Brad Armstrong to retain the Cruiserweight title. 
Conan defeated Jushin Thunder Lager to retain the United States title, and The Giant defeated Sting to retain the WCW World Heavyweight title. 17 years ago today, we put it at uh, 2002, WWE presented Judgment Day from the Gaylord Entertainment Center in Nashville, Tennessee. 14,521 were in attendance with 373,000 homes watching on pay-per-view. That's down from 405,000 homes for the 2001 event. This was the first pay-per-view following the name change from WWF to WWE. Some promotional material retained the old WWF name and logo. Give me for just one second here, folks. In a Sunday Night Heat pre-show match, William Regal defeated D'Lo Brown for the European title. Eddie Guerrero defeated RVD to retain the Intercontinental title. Chris Stratus defeated Stacey Keebler to retain the women's title. Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman defeated Matt and Jeff the Hardy Boys. Steve Austin defeated the Big Show and Rick Flair in a handicap match. Edge defeated Kurangle in a hair versus hair match. Triple H defeated Chris Jericho in a Hell in a Cell match. Rikishi and Rico defeated Billy and Chuck to win the WWE Tag Team titles. And The Undertaker defeated Hollywood Hulk Hogan to win the Undisputed title. Dating back to WrestleMania 18, this was the third world title change in as many months. Fifteen years ago today, we put it at 2004, at an NWA TNA pay-per-view in Nashville, Tennessee, Ron Killings, who of course we know now is our truth, defeated AJ Styles, Chris Harris, and Raven in a deadly draw match to win the NWA World Heavyweight title. Thirteen years ago today, which would put it at 2006, WWE Films released its first theatrical film, See No Evil. <laughs> Excuse me. The film starring Glenn Kane Jacobs, a serial killer Jacob Goodnight, as a penchant for keeping his victims' eyes. Turns a profit, $15 million at the box office with an $8 million budget. Despite overwhelmingly negative reviews, just an 8% rating on Rotten Tomatoes based on 59 reviews. The movie performs well when it's released on DVD later that year, making $45 million in about two months. A sequel was released direct-to-video in 2013. Six years ago today, 2013, WWE presented Extreme Rules from the Scott Trade Center in St. Louis, Missouri. 17,529 were in attendance with 228,000 homes watching on pay-per-view. That's down from 263,000 homes from the 2012 event. In a pre-show match, The Miz defeated Cody Rhodes. As for the remaining matches, Chris Jericho defeated Fondango. Dean Ambrose defeated Kofi Kingston to win the United States title. Ambrose was going to hold the championship for the next 351 days, the longest U.S. title reign in WWE history. Sheamus defeated Mark Henry in a strap match. Alberto Del Rio defeated Jack Swagger in a night quit match and become the number one contender for the World Heavyweight title. The Shield, Rollins, and Reigns defeated Team Hell No, Kane, and Daniel Bryan in a Texas Tornado Rules match to win the WWE Tag Team titles. Randy Orton defeated the Big Show in an Extreme Rules match. John Cena and Ryback fought to a no contest in a last man standing match for the WWE title. And Brock Lesnar defeated Triple H in a steel cage match. 
four years ago today, which would put it at 2015. Wrestling Observer Newsletter reports that the coming episode of Impact Wrestling was preempted by Destination America. The reason? Ratings concerns with Memorial Day weekend looming. In its place would be an edited version of the previous, of the previous year's anniversary. The regularly scheduled episode aired in, an international, in, in international markets, but it would never air in the States. Also four years ago today, 2000, let's see, 2015, yes, WWE announces in a press release that Matt Bloom, of course you know him as Albert Tenzai, so forth, and Sarah Amato have been promoted head coach and assistant head coach, respectively, of the WWE Performance Center. Bloom, of course, best known as Prince Albert in the States, and more recently as Giant Bernard in Tenzai, was a color commentator for NXT and an assistant coach before being named interim head coach following the resignation of Bill DeMont. Of course, you know, remember him as Hugh Morris. Amato, best known as Sarah Del Rey, had a hand in rebuilding the NXT and, by extension, WWE women's division. The press release also announced that Amato would also work with the main roster as a producer and an agent. And we have an interesting birthday here, ladies and gentlemen. Today would have been the 73rd birthday of Andre Rene Rusimov, Though, of course, he's best known to millions as the one and the only Andre the Giant. Born to Bulgarian and Polish parents in Grenoble, France, on May 19, 1946, Andre experienced symptoms of gigantism very early. At age 12, he was 6'3", 240 pounds, so large he couldn't fit on the school bus. He was driven to school by a neighbor and future Nobel Prize winner Samuel Beckett. Beckett bought some land in the early 1950s and built a college cottage for himself with the help of Andre's father, Boris. Andre himself was a good student, but he felt a high school education wasn't necessary for a farm laborer, so he dropped out after the eighth grade. Though he did farm labor, woodworking, and help manufacture engines for hay balers, he wasn't good enough for Andre. At age 17, Andre moved to Paris and was ta taught the art of professional wrestling. Built at, billed as Giant Ferrer, he moonlighted as a wrestler while working as a mover to pay living expenses. He worked Paris and the surrounding areas before Canadian wrestler and promoter Frank Ballos found Andre in 1966. He would be his business manager and advisor and would travel the world, making a name for himself in Europe, Australia, Africa, and Asia. It was there, it was while he was in Japan he discovered Andre was suffering from agromegaly. Megaly, a disorder where the anterior pituitary gland produces excessive growth hormone causing severe disfigurement. The condition is often not diagnosed in its early stages. Rusimov was a regular in Montreal, selling out the Montreal Forum regularly, but the novelty wore off as a number of credible opponents dwindled. He occasionally erupted for the AWA as a special attraction, then under the advice of WWW founder Vince McMahon Sr., suggested Andre be a worldwide special attraction and book him as an immovable monster. He would be available to any organization anywhere only for a guaranteed fee. Andre debuted for the WWF in 1973 and quickly became one of the most beloved baby faces in the sport. Though he was billed as undefeated prior to his WrestleMania three match with Hulk Hogan, Andre had taken losses. Though, though they were few and far between, he was beaten by El Kanek in 1984, submitted by Antonio Noki in 1986, and went to one-hour draws with Harley Race and Nick Blackwing to win world title bouts. Andre also had a boxer versus wrestler win over Chuck Webner, who was the inspiration for the Rocky film series in 1976. 
Andre's biggest fears came against Hulk Hogan, which spanned, which spanned two continents. Killer Khan culminated in a stretcher match in November 1981, and Big John Studd, which culminated in a $15,000 body slam match at the inaugural WrestleMania. Though Andre won the match, he never got his reward as he had the bag stolen from him as he was throwing cash to the fans. The next at WrestleMania, he won a 20-man battle royal featuring WWF wrestlers and top stars in the NFL. Around the time of Andre's feud with King Kong Bundy, he would score the part of Fezzik in the film The Princess Bride. Andre himself said it was his favorite movie role. It was also around that time his, his condition was taking a, lot, a toll on his physical health. Upon his return from filming, Andre wore a mask and wrestled briefly as Giant Machine as part of the Machine Stable. Though Bobby Heenan, Studd, and Bundy tried to prove Andre, Andre the Giant and Giant Machine were one and the same. They could not. And he indefinitely suspended Andre. He was suspended for no showing a tag team match with Studd and Bundy. This was done to cover for his absence for filming The Princess Bride was reinstated. Amazingly, it would be Heenan that managed Andre the Giant from the biggest feud of his career, Hulk Hogan. It began over jealousy that Andre received a smaller trophy for never being pinned or made to submit in a WWF ring, while Hogan received a larger trophy for his three-year run as WWF champion. Andre, at the behest of Heenan, challenged Hogan to a WWF title match, then proceeded to rip Hogan's T-shirt and crucifix. Andre ripped into Hogan's skin a bit as a fingernail scratched caused Hogan to bleed. Though Andre gained a psychological advantage by eliminating Hogan in a battle royal just weeks before WrestleMania III, the battle royal won by Hercules, it was Hogan who would body slam the giant en route to Andre's first pinfall loss in a WWF ring. Famously, the 7'4", 520-pound Andre, though there was some dispute to this height and weight for that matter, wore a back brace covered by his wrestling signal. It would be the first time Hogan slammed Andre Andre was slammed by then-heel Hogan twice in December of 1980. Harley Race, El Connect, Bruno San Martino, and Stan Hansen all slammed the Giant at one point. The Andre Hogan feud will continue into the following year. On the first episode of the main event in February 1988, Andre defeated Hogan with the help of some shady refereeing to win his first and only WWF title, which Andre almost immediately sold to Ted DiBiase. That title change was made null and void, and the title made it vacant until WrestleMania 4. Though both Hogan and Andre eliminated, excuse me, eliminated each other with a double DQ, they both had a say in the final match as Randy Savage, with Hogan's help, went on to defeat DiBiase and win the WWF title. The feud came to an end when Hogan and Savage, known as the Mega Powers, defeated Andre the Giant and DiBiase, known as the Mega Bucks. Andre would feud with Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Jake the Snake Roberts, Big John Studd, and the Ultimate Warrior throughout late 1988 and most of 1989. Late in the year, Andre, along with Haku, known as the Colossal Connection, won the WWF Tag Team titles from Demolition. Two would hold the titles in mid-December until <clears throat> WrestleMania 6 in April 1990. Post-match, Heenan berated Andre, but responded with a huge slap in the face. With his health declining, Andre's appearance became more and more sporadic until SummerSlam 91, which was his final WWF TV appearance. His last appearance came at a house show in his hometown of Paris, France, in October, Andre's last TV appearance came for WCW in a brief interview in September 1992 at Clash of the Champions 20. Andre's final in-ring appearances were for Mexico's Universal Wrestling Association in April and May of 92, and for All Japan Pro Wrestling in late 1992. On the night of January 27, 1993, Rusimov sadly died in his sleep 
of congestive heart failure in his hotel room in Paris. He was only 46 years old. Making the death more tragic, Brusimov was in Paris to attend the funeral of his father. His father, Boris, died just nine days earlier. Brusimov's body was cremated per his wishes as ashes were scattered, scattered on his ranch in Ellerby, North Carolina. At the time of his death, he was survived by one daughter named Robin. Brusimov has been called by those around him among the most gentle, gentle and generous people they've known. One story said Arnold Schwarzenegger tried to pay for a meal, but Andre insisted so much that he carried him out of the restaurant and put him on top of his car. He was also the unofficial world's greatest drunk. Legend has it that he consumed over 100 sitting on multiple occasions. This has been corroborated by multiple wrestlers, including Mike Graham, Dusty Rhodes, and the fabulous Mula. He left a lasting legacy after his death. In March 1993, the WWF established its own Hall of Fame with Andre, Giant, Andre the Giant as his first member, I believe the only member. He served as the inspiration for the, for the Obey brand and the 1998 movie My Giant, written by Billy Crystal. A biographical video was released by WWE in 2005 based on his life, a reissue of the 1985 video cassette. A graphic novel, Andre the Giant, the Life and the Legend was released in 2015. A movie based on a second graphic novel, Andre the Giant, Close to the Heaven, is in the works as of 2017. Andre's daughter, Robin, is a consultant on the film. In recent years, WWE added a 30-man Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. <clears throat> Cesaro, The Big Show, Baron Corbin, and Mojo Rawley have been the matches for winners as of 2015. Andre, 2017, I'm sorry. Andre is also a charter member of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame class in 1996 and the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame class of 2002 and the Stampede Wrestling Hall of Fame. He was post also posthumously honored by Pro Wrestling Illustrated with the Edit Editor's Award in 1993 and listed as the third greatest wrestler of the PWI years in 2003. So there you have it there, folks, for your first half of your wrestling history here for tonight. And we have one other part here, one interesting piece of wrestling history to talk about here. Of course, it's, it's so big that, like I said, it's got its own, <clears throat> its own little, of course, its own, own little discussion here as well. So excuse me just one second while we get that up. That's right now. Sorry about that, folks. A little, little park shirt today versus being hot weather here. Here's an infamous moment, ladies and gentlemen. Another infamous moment in wrestling history here. We definitely got to bring this up. 23 years ago today, which would put it at 1996, in New York City, Shawn Michaels defeated Diesel in a steel cage match to retain the WWF title. On the undercard, the Godwins, Henry and Phineas, defeated the Body Donnas, Skip and Zip, to win the WWF Tag Team titles. And in his first Madison Square Garden match since 1991, mm -hmm. the Ultimate Warrior defeated Owen Hart. However, none of this was the story of the day. Here, here is what we need to talk Here's what we're going to talk about. Following the conclusion, the main event. Michaels, Razor Ramon, Diesel, and Hunter Hearst Helmsley all shared in a group hug. What is the problem? 
probably asking, well, of course, back in 1996, Michaels and, of course, Razor, of course, his real name is Scott Hall, were faces. Diesel, his real name was Kevin, of course, Kevin Nash. And Helms, of course, his real name was Paul Levesque, were at the time heels. And also, the four, happened, four of them happened to be friends in real life. Presenting perhaps the most blatant breach of KFAB in WWE history, known simply as the curtain call. Here is, Dave, here is Dave Shearer's account of the incident as it appeared in Wrestling Lariat Newsletter in 1996. Listen very carefully. In a shocking moment, one that I never thought I would see from either of the big two promotions, four wrestlers willfully broke KFAB in one of the most touching moments in wrestling history on Sunday, May 19th at Madison Square Garden, and what was the farewell appearances of both Razor Ramon and Diesel. After an awesome cage match in which Shawn Michaels beat Diesel to retain the WWF title, Michaels went back into the cage and stood and danced over the prone Diesel. He then bent over and kissed him. Razor Ramon came out and hugged Michaels. Then out came Hunter Hearst Helmsley making the click sign. He hugged both guys. Diesel then awakened and stood up. Four of the five members of the click went, then went to the corners of the top of the cage and extended the click sign to the fans most of whom ate it up completely. We were told that the guys did, did this on their own and that Vince McMahon did not endorse it. In fact, we were told he was dead set against them doing it. But obviously, he did not stop it, and I think it was the right move. This is Dave Shearer saying this. Throughout the night, the fans in the building knew that both men were leaving as they heard alternate chants of, please don't go, and you sold out. With Diesel hearing much more of the latter, Lord knows, only knows why. A precursor to what was to come came earlier in the night. After Ramon's match, most of the crowd was chanting, you sold out to him. So he rubbed his fingers together in a money gesture. He took the mic and said, all I got to say is goodbye to the bad guy. Midway through, the company cut the mic off. but could not stop what happened at the end of the show, as the friendship of four men was more important to them than breaking KFAB. Given the professionalism that both men showed on their way out of the promotion, and also the classy way that the company did not bury them upon leaving. <clears throat> it was one of those times in this business that makes it all, all of us proud to be wrestling fans. In addition, I think all sides handled the situation the right way. No bridges were burned on either side. And if WCW handles the party wrestlers the way they did the last time they had them, they could come back to Titan. There are some who would be against the breaking of KFAB, but personally, I have no problem with it. Very few, if any, people believe that the business is anything but a work, and those who got to see this event will never, ever forget it. <clears throat> so you ask, how did we get here? And here it is. In 1994, through many miles and many matches together, Shawn Michaels, Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, and Shawn Waltman, of course, known as the one, two, three kid, who was actually not with the WWF at the time. He was in drug rehab. In fact, Waltman's final match was as one, two, three kid aired the next night on Raw formed a friendship. They would join, be joined early the next year by Paul Levesque, who, who, who would serve as their designated driver, as he, as he was the only one in the group that didn't do drugs or alcohol. The group became a backstage alliance known as the Click, where the name originated, changed on who was telling the story. One version says Lex Luger came up with the name, while another says it was David Boy Smith. As their popularity grew, so did their booking influence. For example, Michaels and Nash briefly held all three WWF championships simultaneously, simultaneously as two dudes with attitude. Diesel was WWF champion, 
Michaels is Intercontinental Champion, and the two is Tag Team Champions together. Hall and Hot had Hall high-profile feuds with Waltman, Michaels, and Nash. The force and Walton in the WWF's most high-profile matches and feuds are the bulk of the roster fought for scraps. Two people notably negatively affected by the collection clues were Paul Louette and Troy Martin. Roulette, who went by Jean-Pierre Lafitte at the time, was booked to beat Diesel, but Michaels vetoed it. In response, Roulette refused to be pinned by Diesel. The match went to a double countout. Or Roulette's refusal to lay down. He was repeatedly booked to lose in lower card bouts until he quit the company in early 1996. Michaels later admitted in his autobiography that the clip purposely buried Roulette. Troy Martin, who was in the WWF as Dean Douglas in 1995, was to have a somewhat modest run <clears throat> as the Intercontinental Champion. But the click, specifically Michaels, put the kibosh on that, saying Douglas shouldn't be champion. Douglas got the title via forfeit, only losing to Razor Ramon just 11 minutes later. Martin threatened to sue the WWF unless he was granted an outright release to return to ECW, a release he would, that he would get in December of 1995. In a span of two weeks in early 1996, both Scott Hall and Kevin Nash both gave their notes of intent to leave the WWF for WCW. Hall signed in late February, Nash in early March. Hall's decision to bail cost him the WrestleMania 12 payday, as he was suspended from the company for failing a prior drug test. Nash remained on the card with a high-profile match with The Undertaker. Though both wanted to remain in the company, the thought of guaranteed money for fewer dates was too good to pass up, especially for Nash, whose wife was pregnant at the time. At the time, WWF contracts were structured as such 10 matches a year at $150 each was all that was guaranteed. And anyone that wanted out had to give 90 days notice or their contract would be automatically rolled over. WCW changed the math in the mid-1990s, offering fully guaranteed contracts, something unheard of in the wrestling business at the time. While Nash was still prominently featured on WWF programming, Hall was, for all intents and purposes, on the bench for the remainder of his time in the company. For both their final TV appearance came at In Your House 7, Good Friends, Better Enemies. Hall as Razor Ramon was defeated by Vader, while Nash as Diesel lost in the show's main event, a WWF title match against Shawn Michaels. While working house shows in Baltimore and Philadelphia, their finale came in Madison Square Garden. Here's a look back as reported in the May 27, 1996 issue of Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Final appearances of Diesel and Razor Ramon in the WWF came to a, in a strange curtain call finale of the click before the first indoor non-pay-per-view house in WWF history to top $300,000 on May 19th in Madison Square Garden. Regarding second straight sellout, the first time that's happened in 11 years, of 18,800 fans, 16,564 paying $319,411 saw what many were saying was the best Madison Square Garden house show since WrestleMania 10. The big news of the show was supposed to be the tag team title change where the Godwin brothers, real-life Mark Canterbury and Dennis Knight, won the belts from the body Donis, Chris Candido, and Tom Pritchard. That happened when Phineas recovered from being kissed by Sonny to score the pin on Zip with the swap drop. While that happened, it resulted in the Godwins defending the tag team titles in the free-for-all match on the May 26th pay-per-view show from Florence, South Carolina against the Smoking Guns. It was hardly the main topic of conversation regarding the show. Eventually, the belts were supposed to wind up going to Owen Hart and David Boy Smith. 
both Diesel and Ramon in their final appearances before starting with WCW in mid-June were the recipient of chance that you sold out and please don't go by a decent percentage of the crowd that seemed to know it was their final show. Ramon was booed in his match with Hunter Chris Helmsley, who replaced Goldust, who missed another weekend because his knee hasn't recovered well enough for him to work. And Hemsley booed with a loud, you sold out chant after he did the job. After the match, he grabbed the house mic and before he could get more than a few words out, panicked WWF officials, to, since this wasn't part of the show, cut off the power. As it was, all Ramon ended up saying was that some of the effect of telling people to say goodbye to the bad guy. However, it wasn't over for the bad guy just yet. After a very strong main event cage match where Shawn Michaels beat Diesel to keep the WWF title, it was time for the curtain call. Michaels had won the match by walking out of the cage after laying Diesel out with a super kick. After the match, Michaels kissed Diesel, who revived like the frog kissed by the princess, and the two hugged in the ring. Diesel got a lot more cheers during the match than most would have figured. Although Michaels was still the most popular wrestler on the show, Ramon and fellow Cook member Hemsley then came to the ring and the four got on all four posts and gave click signals to the fans, some of whom were teary-eyed and saying it was one of the best moments of wrestling in Madison Square Garden in years. Supposedly, this final display wasn't approved by WWF officials, and it got over great with the audience, so little will probably result from it. However, there were other wrestlers who were very unhappy at what they considered a KFAP violation, particularly since Helmsley was in the ring hugging Ramon and Diesel, had just finished a match with Michaels and naturally arose from a finishing move from, by being kissed. The other click member, the 123 Kid, wasn't at the show as his future with the company is somewhat in question after he showed up at the Superstars taping on April 30th in no condition to perform and won't be back until June at the earliest. It turns out after WWF wrestlers officials got in the ear of Vincent Mann, he initially okayed the send-off. He wasn't happy about the curtain call either. After all, this wasn't a this was a blatant breach of KFAB, the idea that everything that happened on that wrestling program was real, and said issues between wrestlers in the ring extended beyond the confines of the sports circle. If two rivals were seen associated with one another in public, it could kill a storyline in a matter of seconds. Of course, uh, if you remember, Hacksaw Jim Duggan in the Iron Sheet from 1987. As it also turned out, two fans in attendance, Manny Matati and Jason, Jason Cosmides, sorry if I mispronounced that name, recorded the whole recorded the whole thing via a camcorder that got in the building. Footage of the incident, both in picture and video form, went viral as it spread online into wrestling magazines making the incident even more widely known. Such a brazen act needed to be punished of many wrestlers and officials. Not only did these four expose the business, they did it in Madison Square Garden, the WWF's home away from home, but who could Vince punish? Not Scott Hall or Kevin Nash, they were leaving. Not Shawn Michaels, because not only was he the WWF champion, he was one of the future stars that's in the company devoid of, devoid of them. Not Shawn Wallman, he was in rehab, in the end, it was Paul Levesque, of course, Hunter Hearst Hemsley, that fell on the sword. The domino effect was massive. Plans of him winning the 1996 King of the Ring tournament, a monster push, were scrapped for the next few months. Levesque was put in preliminary bouts and demeaning feuds. That 1996 King of the Ring title and push went to another ex WWE employee, of course, Stone Cold Steve Austin, 
Austin's win soon propelled him to a high-profile feud with Bret Hart, and by 1998 was not only the WWF champion, he was the face of the company's new direction, the Attitude Era. For what's worth, Levesque took his punishment in stride. It earned him respect among his peers, among his peers, especially those that didn't like him for his association with the clique. In October, he would win the Intercontinental title, and the next year he would win the King of the Ring tournament. He would soon join Shawn Michaels in one of the WWF's most meta storylines, D-Generation X. In 1999, Paul would win his first world would be 14 world titles and also marry Stephanie McMahon. Today, LeVegas is the Executive Vice President of Talent, Live Events, and Creative, as well as the creator of NXT, which is WWE's developmental property. Shawn Michaels would fall out of favor with many fans and was cheered when he was defeated for the WWF title in November 1996. The tumultuous 1997 for Michaels included regaining the title before controversially vacating it, being suspended for getting into a fight with Bret Hart, costing him his half of the tag titles, and being involved in, in the infamous Montreal Screwjob. In early 1998, Sean suffered a back injury that virtually put, put a halt to his career. He would return four years later, though he would win just one world title over the next seven and a half years. Sean retired in 2010 as one of the most celebrated performers in wrestling history. Paul and Nash didn't do too bad either. The two debuted for WCW two weeks apart in the spring of 1996. <clears throat> as invaders from the WWF, of course, the Outsiders, as they would be known, would join Hulk Hogan in July to form one of the most influential and dominant factions in wrestling history, the NWO. Paul and Nash would become one of the most successful tag teams in WCW history, winning the tag team titles six times together from 96 to 99. They would do quite well in singles as well, Paul would win the United States and World TV titles, but never the world title. Paul would win the 60-man World War III Battle Royal in 1997. Nash would win the WCW World Heavyweight title five times and win the 60-man World War III Battle Royal in 1998. Three of the four men involved in the current car would be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. Michaels in 2011, Paul in 2014, and Nash in 2015. <clears throat> And of course, as you know, of course, this year, Degeneration X, uh, Triple H, Road Dog, Billy Gunn, and X Pac officially became a, a member of the Hall of Fame there as well. Of course, Shawn Michaels became another two time Hall of Fame as well. In August 2015, the force had met the two fans who recorded the event for the first time. But, folks, there you have it there. That infamous moment there took place. Like I said, back in 19, on this date in 1996, you missed curtain call. So, no matter how you sneeze at there, folks. No matter how you sneeze at there, folks. Forgive <clears throat> the little be leaps there, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, people are just talking on our raw rant panel chat box on Facebook. Before they're all, of course, are all hyped up about the prediction title challenge that's in progress right now. Of course, with Money in the Bank 2019 going on right now, even as we speak. And speaking of which, here, folks, let's go ahead and give you an update on. Mm -hmm. And give you an update on that here, folks. <clears throat> uh, let me see here. As uh, we do, do have this, do have. I think, I think we officially have the full 
pledge updates right here, folks, for all the matches here. And I'll be and uh, <clears throat> and, to, and sometime during the week, I will be giving everybody an opportunity to I will let anybody know about who won the prediction title challenge. But let's go ahead and run through this here first. Uh, in the pre-show match here, in 11 minutes and five seconds, the Usos defeated the team of Daniel Bryan and Rowan. The women's Money in the Bank ladder match took 13 lasted 13 minutes and 50 seconds, as Bailey defeated Carmella, Dana Brooke, Ember Moon, Mandy Rose, Naomi, Natalia, and Nikki Cross. In one minute 39 seconds, Rey Mysterio did defeat Samoa Joe to finally win the United States title. In 13 minutes eight seconds, Shane McMahon escaped the cage first, defeating The Miz. In 9 minutes and 20 seconds, Tony Nese retained the Cruiserweight title over Arya Davari. And, the, and ladies and gentlemen, the Raw and SmackDown women's title matches took a very interesting twist here as well. <clears throat> let's go ahead and bring this, let's go ahead and just go ahead and flat out tell you here. In 8 minutes, 37 seconds, Becky Lynch did defeat Lacey Evans by submission to retain the Raw women's title. However, in six minutes and 11 seconds, Charlotte defeated Becky Lynch and won the SmackDown Women's title. As we just stated in just a little while ago, Bailey won the Women's Money in the Bank ladder match. Bailey cashed in during after the SmackDown Women's title match, defeating Charlotte Flair and picking up the SmackDown Women's title. So, ladies and gentlemen, officially, it goes the SmackDown Women's title goes from Becky Lynch to Charlotte, then it goes from Charlotte. To Bailey. Surprising, very surprising indeed. And the next match here, of course, this match only took nine seconds, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, which was, if you remember, King Kong Bundy versus the late, the late King Kong, King Kong Bundy versus the late S.T. Jones from WrestleMania 1 only took nine seconds. Roman Reigns defeated Elias in only nine seconds. For the Universal title in 19 minutes and 50 seconds, almost a 20 minute match there, folks. Which I, th I figured it would be close to about close to 20 minutes. It was a really good, really intense matchup here. Seth Rollins did defeat AJ Styles to retain the Universal title. In 14 minutes, 56 seconds, almost 15 minutes, Kofi Kingston in his first title defense was very successful in retaining the WWE title over Kevin Owens. And in the men's Money in the Bank ladder match, now this one right here took a very interesting twist. As you know, it was scheduled to be Ali, Andrade, Baron Corbin, Drew McIntyre, Finn Balor, Randy Orton, Ricochet, and Sami Zayn. Well, apparently, uh, it seems here uh, officially, Sami Zayn never got involved in this match, it seems like here. It looks like, ladies and gentlemen, that it was that somebody else took his place and that's someone ladies and gentlemen believe it or not and i kid you not here folks you may already know all this by now brock lesnar made his return at money in the bank defeating ali andrade baron corbin drew mcintyre finn balor randy orton and ricochet to pick up the money in the the men's money in the bank contract so, ladies and gentlemen, there has been some talk that they may do a match for the Universal title between Seth and Brock Lesnar at the event in Saudi Arabia coming up, and this probably was probably the beginning of that. 
So, ladies and gentlemen, this is proven right here. WWE is looks like they have started screwing the pooch here again. So, <clears throat> so ladies and gentlemen, I will be, of course, I will definitely have to go back and give you. Well, I definitely have to go back and redo. And uh, and, and uh, I will definitely have to go back and look over all of this here. But it looks like here, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> um, yeah, let's see. Uh, yeah, but but, um, but I will keep everybody apprised as to who won tonight's prediction title challenge. I'm sure a lot of our folks here are asking me about how they did and everything. So we'll keep everybody informed of this. <clears throat> of course, going in, uh, going in towards uh, going in towards tomorrow on WWUS Raw Radio. I will try to keep everybody apprised of this as as best as we possibly can. But uh, there you have it there, folks. Uh, actually, folks, I did double check our rest of the news tidbits here just a moment ago, and most of the news ha it does have to do with money in the banks. So I won't be bringing you any rest of the news here tonight. But of course, I'll have a lot to talk about here, of course, on Raw Radio starting tomorrow at 3. So for now, ladies and gentlemen, I do thank you very much for listening here tonight to our, of course, our official promo here with our rest in history and birthdays, and also, of course, our update for money in the bank. 2019. For now, this is Mr. WWS Chad Hinshaw saying thank you very much for listening. Please join us here on all of our shows on the radio network this week, starting with Raw Radio tomorrow afternoon at 3 p.m. As GTS, JD, John, and the rest of the gang are going to have a lot to talk about here concerning what happened tonight at Money in the Bank, plus what will possibly happen at AEW's event on Saturday, plus other wrestling news, as well as, of course, news coming out of pop culture, of course, music, movie, sports as well, and also uh, uh, predictions on the main event and the ratings for tomorrow night's Monday Night Raw. So, for now, ladies and gentlemen, this is Mr. WWS Chad Hinshaw saying thank you very much for listening. This has been a promo of the radio network, which we are three, four years older, continuing to be bolder. The radio network continues to be and will forever remain your wrestling and pop culture connection. Folks, take care of yourselves and each other. Please stay cool during the week because. In some of your neck of the woods, I know around mine, it's going to get majorly hot. So you definitely want to start trying to keep cool as best you possibly can out there, folks. So, folks, <clears throat> this has been for your, your source for everything in wrestling and pop culture. This is the WCWS Radio Network. Have a good evening, folks, and a good week. Take care. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.